The second quarter was two-pronged. It had an effect both for the Bucks and for the Suns. Quoting Jerry Seinfeld, you believe this will have a two-pronged effect. We're talking about the roommate switch, right? Great episode. I got it! This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I'm going to level with you. I'm so tired today. Oh, my God. I need, I've been just grinding to the end of the week. Uh, two of my favorite artists put albums out last night, and they drop at 11 p.m. So I stayed up and listened to them. I didn't get in bed last night till like, 1.30. And I woke up this morning. I was like, okay, one more show. We can get through the week. And I've, I've been pounding coffee this afternoon. Been getting myself amped to watch the Bucks. Right before the show started, I'm doing push-ups. I'm just, I am, I'm going to drag to the finish line today. And show's a little bit short. We have an abbreviated show, is my boss, I always like to say. Fancy way of saying, show's a little short. We're going to be done at 5.30 tonight because the Brewers pregame, the Brewers are back tonight. Thank goodness. Another series with the Reds, the same team they played going into the All-Star break. So we get three more against the Reds this weekend. They're back. So the show's a little bit short tonight, which means we got to compress. We got to pick and choose our topics. We can only talk about the best things, the most important things, the most interesting things, which tonight is a lot of bucks. We're going to work in just a little bit of the Brewers as well. Thought for a moment today that Damian Lillard might be requesting a trade. That has turned out to not be the case. We don't have any news on the Aaron Rodgers front. I don't think there's any other earth-shattering, breaking news. Or we could talk about the NBA ratings. We could <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about the Bucks. A little bit of Brewers as well, right before we uh, say goodbye. Right before 5.30, before the Brewers take over. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Happy Friday. I hope your weekend is off to an excellent start. No Bucks tonight, so we have about 24 more hours to get ready and to stress and to be excited and to be antsy. I keep having to remind myself, the Bucks are two wins away from an NBA title. Because the last couple of years during the Bucks postseason runs, the Bucks will do this thing after the game where they have a board and they'll like tack a win up there and they'll be like, 14 wins left. You know, because it's, it's 16 wins, four series all in all if you go all the way. So the Bucks are now two wins away. In the last couple of years, they've been doing this countdown. And I'm like, oh God, we're in the second round. Like, are we really paying attention to how many more wins are needed for a title. It's never really been something that's on my radar because the Bucs have never made a finals, at least in this iteration, not since the 70s. Blows my mind. I kind of got to remind myself that they're two wins away from a championship. Now, they're going to have to win one in Phoenix, but the way this series is headed and the momentum of this series, the Bucs have it right now. That can change quickly, as we talked about yesterday, but a lot of reasons to be excited about the Bucs, and we're going to talk about the Bucs plenty, including a conversation with Justin Garcia, our good, 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 good friend and uh, frequent contributor. He'll join us. Bucks Radio Network. You hear him on Buckshots, Courtside Live, right? Before and after. He's also been like the MC of the Deer District. So he'll get out in front of the DJ stand and start pumping up the crowd, right? Maybe come in, jump off a ladder, break a chair, something like that. Just get the people fired up, which is funny because he's the most mild-mannered man. <laughs> if you've ever met Justin or you listen to him talk, very considerate. And he doesn't get too riled up, and he doesn't speak quickly. He's the opposite of me. He's not obnoxious at all. And that's why it cracks me up that he's out there emceeing the Deer District. And he's done a great job. The crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they looked more fired up by the game as you kind of follow along the progression of the Deer District 
over the course of this playoff run. So we'll talk to Justin coming up at 435. I have a little thought experiment that I want to do with him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask his opinion on a couple of things and just see if I can't get the, the wheels turning. Because Justin's a very reasonable man, reporter, sticks to the facts. I'm going to see if I can't get the wheels turning in his head just a little bit. Try to uh, get him to be a little bit more creative. Think outside the box. Think about some stupid things like I do every day. Uh, let's start with actually looking back towards game three. Oh, yeah, by the way, 608-796-2558, the talk and text line. Twitter, if you want to get involved with the show, that way you can tweet me, at Wisco Grant. I want to go to Wednesday's game. I want to talk about game four. It's something that we didn't really have a chance to get to yesterday. I wanted to get to it, but we just kind of ran out of time. I used to listen to a lot of the show, Pardon My Take. It's very, very popular sports podcast. It's through Barstool. It's really good, especially in football season. I don't really listen to it anymore. I don't have any time. I, I really got to pick and choose what I listen to. I only have so much time in the day, right? And I can't really listen to one podcast while getting ready for this show, so that kind of limits me. I don't have time to listen to Pardon My Take. But I always really like their show. And one thing that always stuck with me about this podcast, if you've never listened, I'll try to explain it the best I can. Dan Katz, big cat on the pod, has this knack, especially with football, to label games to put games in categories, to put games in different buckets. So if we're previewing Packers-Vikings, oh, this is a blank game. This is a blank game, right? Putting them in categories based on what they mean, the, the situation, and, and the trajectory of both teams at the time when the game is played, right? Labeling games. And I love people who can come up with their own language to talk about sports and come up with their own kind of vernacular and lexicon to describe sports. I like people who can approach sports differently. That's what I try to do on this show. Like, look at sports in weird, different ways and and kind of draw different conclusions. I always heard Big Cat on this podcast talk about portal games. This is a portal game, right? It's kind of a philosophy concept or a a logic and reasoning concept. Conditional reasoning. An if-then statement. If A, then B. If A is true, therefore B is true, right? If this team wins then it means this for this team, means this for this division, it means this for this league, etc. A portal game, meaning like, all right, if the Packers and the Rams play, and it's a portal game, well, if the Packers win, then we really got to start talking about this. Or if the Rams win, we really got to start talking about this. A portal game, it's, it's a precursor game. Like, if one team wins, then that leads us somewhere else. Then we can start talking about this. If A, then B type of thing. And I think we had a bit of a portal game or a portal scenario, to use Big Cat's language, on Tuesday night. The game on Tuesday night or Wednesday night? Whenever the game was. Wednesday. Yep. Devin Booker's sixth and seventh fouls that weren't called. Let's say that Giannis doesn't make the putback after Booker commits his sixth foul, the foul that wasn't called. Let's say Giannis doesn't make that putback, and then Booker and the Suns come back. Booker hits a couple of shots. Let's say he scores five points in the final two minutes and the Suns go on to win the game. The Bucks would then fall down in the series 3-1, to one, and the de facto elimination game, although the Bucks would not yet be eliminated, they would be down 3-1, which is essentially being eliminated, especially going back to Phoenix. Bucks going down 3-1, and that game would be highlighted by one of the worst missed calls I have ever seen. And I don't like being hyperbolic to that degree, but when I go on Twitter during the game and I see people who've watched basketball for 50 years, people who aren't Bucks fans, people who have no rooting interest in this series, go, oh my God, that's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Okay, well, that's how I know. I, I don't mean, not just because it's my team, not because I'm biased. Oh, it's the worst call I've ever seen. Well, I also lived through the fail Mary. 
So, like, I've seen a couple of bad calls. But in that moment, the leverage that was carried by that call or non-call was so big, that was one of the worst calls I've ever seen in an NBA playoff series, or a non-call, I guess. And if the Suns come back and win that game and Devin Booker stays in the game and plays a big role, it would have been all the conversation yesterday, not just on this show, but on all shows. And I'm really glad that that didn't happen because what would I have said about it? Come in here, I'm going to talk for two hours, and really the game comes down to one thing. Well, Devin Booker should have been kicked out of the game for six fouls, and he wasn't. Does the league hate Milwaukee? I don't want to do that segment. That sounds depressing. Why are we cursed? I don't want to ask that question. That's, that makes me sad. That's a bummer. Would have been a terrible show, especially given the Bucks would then be down 3-1. They're essentially done. Now we just got to watch it play out. It's like having a family member on life support. Like, you know they're gone. But it's not official yet, so that's it's the waiting game. you got to sit around, and it's, and it's brutal. And I don't mean to compare sports to, obviously, a, a very serious life situation, but you, you get the connection, right? You understand, the, you, under, you understand what's going on. You understand where we're headed. We just need to wait to go there, right? It's like, well, we know the Bucks are done. Now we just got to sit back and watch them get eliminated. Would have been brutal. And I think had Devin Booker come back to win that game, this is why I say that it's a portal game, I think this would have opened up a whole new bag of chips. I think it would have tanked the NBA. You know how mad fans would have been? Not just Bucks fans, but there are people all around the country who watch basketball who for the first time in really a decade, and yes, there have been exceptions here and there, but very few, for the first time in a decade, we're watching two teams, neither of which are super teams, neither of which include LeBron, neither of which include the Greg Popovich Spurs or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry and the Warriors. In the last decade, only like 30, let's see, 30% of the final series have included a team that's not one of those instances I just named. So we're talking about the Mavericks, we're talking about the Heat last year in the bubble, and we're talking about the Kawhi Leonard Raptors. Other than that, the previous decade has been the Popovich Spurs, the Golden State Warriors, whoever LeBron has played for, and Kevin Durant, if we're counting that one uh, that one Thunder year in 2012. That team was awesome. I wish they would have made another finals. I wish they would have stuck together. So the first time in a decade, basketball fans are being given this pure NBA finals. It seems like we can just kind of watch basketball. We don't have to worry about the LeBron narrative or the super team narrative. We're just watching a series. And in that moment, if Booker isn't thrown out, if he isn't fouled out, and then the Suns go on to win because of Devin Booker, everybody's looking around thinking, oh, well, the league wants Chris Paul to get a ring. The league wants Phoenix to win. And so many folks already think the NBA is rigged. I don't. I, I, I refuse to believe that. I won't believe that because if I do, then why am I? You know what I mean? That takes the magic away. There, there's a certain suspension of belief, I think, with sports that it really is truly chaotic and it's truly left up to chance. I, I'm never going to choose to believe that anything is rigged or that anything is is wired a certain way. But there are a lot of people who do, and I can't say that I necessarily blame them because you see a call like that, what else are you supposed to believe? And I think in Game 4, the Bucks really saved the NBA from itself by closing that game out because so many people would have said, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. But we're good. The Bucks have now tied it up 2-2 after being behind two games to nothing. And speaking of portal games, right? A game where if the result is one thing, it means this. If the result is another, it means this, right? It's a precursor. It's, it's almost a diving board 
where if the Bucks win this game, it means this. If the Suns win this game, it means this. It's, it's kind of a, a crossroads. It's a, it's a portal game. The Suns were a few minutes away from going up 3-1 and ending the series, and they know it. They were up nine points in that fourth quarter. Devin Booker was cooking, right? The Bucks really weren't playing well. Drew Holiday can't hit water if he falls out of a boat. The Suns had it in the palm of their hand. And the swing from what could have been a win for the Suns or what ended up being a loss is huge because instead of being up 3-1, it's now tied 2-2 and the Bucks have all the momentum. Difference in outcomes in a 2-1 game four, it's huge. 3-1, 2-2, it's a, it's a massive difference. Game four, at least in my opinion, the way I see it, was the one that the Suns let get away. That was the game that they blew. That was the game they had and lost. And to me, that's really significant. It reminds me of the 2018-2019 Eastern Conference Finals, another series in which a team came back from a 2-0 deficit. The Raptors did it against the Bucks, stormed all the way back to win four in a row and win in six. There was a game that was blown. The Bucks had that series in game three. They lost in double overtime, 118-122. They missed 11 free throws in that game. Oh, Giannis had five makes and eight turnovers. He fouled out at the beginning of the second overtime. That was the game that the Bucs could have had, should have had, didn't have, and then they ended up losing the series because of it. Who's to say that Wednesday night's game for the Suns, a game that they were up nine points in the fourth quarter, it slips away. Who's to say that that game doesn't play a specific role and a similar role in this finals compared to the Eastern Conference finals a couple of years ago? Eastern Conference finals a couple of years ago also featured some details, some adjustments, some moves that I think we're also seeing play out now in the finals. If you remember in 2019, and I mentioned this yesterday, Kawhi Leonard, after the Raptors fell down two games to nothing, moved on to Giannis. So he's covering Giannis now. Two-time defensive player of the year. We got to do something to corral Giannis. So they stick Kawhi on him, and then they send double teams and triple teams. And that's the first time you really started hearing about the Giannis wall. Kawhi moved on to Giannis. Drew, likewise, Drew Holiday, has moved on to Chris Paul. And after Chris Paul scored 32 in the first game, against what was mostly a combination of P.J. Tucker and Brooke Lopez switching in the high pick and roll. Drew Holiday has now taken him, and Chris Paul has scored not 32, but 23, 19, and 10 in the previous three games. He had two turnovers in game one. He since has 15 combined, six, four, and five, which is really bad. He's never been that bad when it comes to turnovers in the postseason before. I'm wondering if there are some similarities that we can catch. All right, Kawhi guarding Giannis, Drew Holiday guarding Chris Paul. Okay. Games four, five, and six of that Eastern Conference Finals is also when Fred Van Vliet started to get hot. And in a close series, especially a a series where both teams play really good defense, that extra three-point shooter can make all the difference. He went three of three, seven of nine, and four of five from three in games four, five, and six. Now, Pat Connaughton is... Probably not the volume shooter that Fred Van Vliet is, but who's to say that he couldn't play the same role, dare I say? Pat Connaughton in the last three games has gone two of four from the line, four of nine, two of four, and three of seven. Last four games, my bad. He's hitting 46% of his threes in the finals. His true shooting percentage is a gaudy 68%, which is tremendous. If you look at the best true shooting percentages in the league this year, DeAndre Jordan, Right, true shooting percentage, by the way, weighs everything. Free throws, shots in the paint. So at the top of the league for true shooting percentage at 73%, you have players like DeAndre Jordan, Robert Williams, 
centers who are taking really, really, really high percentage shots. And then Tony Snell, who's a guy that just almost never shoots. Right? So you don't see players, at least for an entire season, no one has a true shooting percentage, at least a perimeter player like Pat Connaughton of 68%. That number is really, really good. And who's to say Pat Connaughton couldn't play a similar role to what Fred Van Vliet did in the finals a couple of years ago? Bryn Forbes might be able to do it too. I just don't believe that Bryn Forbes is going to play that many minutes moving forward, if any minutes at all. Maybe Chris Middleton steps into that role a little bit too, although he's more of an established star. It's almost expected out of him, whereas Fred Van Vliet, it was little bit more of a surprise, which typically happens against the Bucks. God forbid it, it could have been Nikola Mirotic in that series that got hot. It turned out to be Fred Van Vliet for the Raptors and not the Bucks, Of course, because <laughs> that's how it goes. Come back, talk a little bit more about the Bucks, and then we'll speak with Justin Garcia, our buddy from the Bucks Radio Network and Courtside Live. If you want to share your thoughts, send me a text, 608-796-2558. Tweet at me, Wisco Grant. More Bucks talk coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Brewers lineup is out. Colton Wong's back in the lineup. I love to see that. I love it. Jace Peterson's still in, though. Red Hot Jace Peterson. Jace walks Peterson. He's playing first. So tonight, Wong, Yelich, Adamas, Narvaez, Garcia, Peterson, Urias, Jackie Bradley Jr., Hauser's pitching. So as soon as we get Lorenzo Kane back, then we'll be pert near all the way healthy. I guess Travis Shaw's rehabbing too, but getting Colton Wong back is a huge step. I want to talk about that more in exactly one hour, precisely one hour, because we're going to be done at 5.30 tonight due to the Brewers pregame. So for that 10 minutes leading in, to the Brewers pregame. We'll talk a little bit more about the Brewers. Right now, we're talking about the Bucks. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name, Grant Bills. I hope your week is wrapping up nicely. I appreciate having you here, and I'd love to hear from you. 608-796-2558. Twitter, at Wisco Grant, if you're on Twitter and you want to follow me or block me or whatever, but that's where you can find me, at Wisco Grant. Talking about the Bucks and how Wednesday's game was a defining moment in a good way because we avoided complete catastrophe. If Devin Booker is allowed to stay in the game and then he hits a game-winning shot and the Bucs are de facto eliminated, I think the NBA has a mess on their hands. It's got to be the most frustrating, depressing finish possible for the Bucs. Thankfully, that didn't happen. And that game, in my opinion, is viewed as the one that got away from the Suns. And I think that's big. I think that's significant. We had a game like that in the Raptors conference finals a couple of years ago the Brewers had two or the not the Brewers the Bucks had two overtimes to get it done they couldn't in game three and that let the door open for the Raptors in the Brooklyn series Brooklyn probably feels like they should have won game three 86 to 83 or whatever it was that was the game that got away from Brooklyn instead the Bucks were able to hold on you just keep the door open keep the door open and you keep extending the series the Bucks were able to do that I think it's significant the Bucks have shown that they can make changes and they can make adjustments, and they've done a ton of that in this series. If somebody tells you that Coach Bud hasn't made adjustments and the Bucs are a stupid team, they're just wrong. Ignore them. They're not watching. And if they are, they're not They're not interested in seeing the game correctly. They're interested in seeing it the way they want to see it because the Bucs made a ton of adjustments. They're adjusting to adjustments. They've played like a very smart team. Now, that doesn't always look pretty. More on that in just a minute or two. The more I watch this team, the more I feel like I learn about them, which makes sense. Every game is an opportunity to see different things and see things differently. 
The more I realize how contradictive this team is, the more that I watch them. They're a walking paradox, right? Because they're best with their small ball lineup. And if you hear that and you're like, I don't know what that means. Well, that essentially means they're playing without Brooke Lopez. They're playing without Bobby Portis. So Giannis is their center. Giannis is the biggest player on the floor. So Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, P.J. Tucker, Pat Connaughton. That's been their best lineup. And it's a smaller lineup because Giannis is the biggest player. He is the center. So they've been best with their small ball lineup, but they're also at their best when they're attacking the rim. So you can see where the contradiction comes. They're better with smaller personnel, but they're at their best when they're attacking the rim, which is typically done by by bigger bodies, by bigger personnel. And I I think I've nailed it. And anyone, feel free to steal this. I'm going to tell this to Justin coming up next. I I hope this will impress him. The way to sum up this Bucks team and the way that they've been successful in this series, and I think the way they'll have to continue to be successful if they want to keep winning, is this team goes small, but they play big. It's pretty clever, right? Yeah. It's pretty slick. The first half of game four is an example. It's a great example. And no part of the first half on Wednesday was aesthetically pleasing at all. This Bucks team isn't always pretty. I think people watch them, and when they become stagnant on offense or when they have a little hitch in their get-along, People see that and they think, oh, it's such a dumb team. Well, no, they're not a dumb team. They're a very, very smart team. They are the type of team, however, when things get stagnant, it's going to look ugly. Whereas some teams, when they get stagnant offensively, the ball still moves and, and like, the, the Bucks are just, they're kind of ugly sometimes. That doesn't mean they're dumb. That doesn't mean they're a bad team. It just means it's ugly. Basketball doesn't have to be aesthetically pleasing. You just have to win, right? The first half of game four is a brilliant example of how the Bucks are best when they go small and they play big. First quarter, they only scored 20 points. They went 2 of 10 from 3. Yuck, that's bad. But they went 5 of 9 in the paint for 10 points. It's not enough. More volume. We need more shots in the paint. So they come back in the second quarter. They go 1 of 6 from 3. And that's not an outrageous number of threes to take, right? Now, if they're not going in, I would prefer to explore other avenues. But 1 of 6... That's not an unreasonable amount of threes to take. Still not great, but they go 9 of 12 in the paint for 18 points. So they have a little bit more volume. They're attacking the rim, and they're getting in the restricted circle, and the offense just flows better. They scored 12 more points in the second quarter than they did in the first. And once again, it's not always going to be pretty, and it wasn't pretty on Wednesday because the Bucs weren't hitting shots other than Chris Middleton kind of creating for himself. On Wednesday, Phoenix shot 51% from the field, The Bucs shot 40%. It's the first time in finals history that a team has shot greater than 50% and lost to a team that shot less than 40%. But because the Bucs were playing hard-nosed, big-bodied, attacking basketball, they were able to overcome some stagnation in their half-court offense. They were able to overcome some subpar three-point shooting numbers. They can continue to win that way. It's going to be hard, and it's going to look clunky at times, and it's going to make you pull your hair out. But they need to continue to get in the paint, be aggressive, attack. That's how the Bucks win. That's their process, getting to the rack. And then that process has all of these nice beneficial side effects. You might get your opponent in foul trouble because you're going to force him to foul Giannis. And Drew, who's pretty good at getting to the rack, even though he didn't show it on Wednesday. And Chris Middleton, who should get more free throws than he takes. Or Brooke Lopez, if he's banging down in the paint. If you're constantly attacking the rack... You're either going to score because there's such high percentage shots or you're going to rack up fouls, which eventually comes back to haunt the other team. It did in game three with DeAndre Ayton, who got close to fouling out, and it did in game four. Devin Booker should have fouled out twice or three times. He didn't, but the point still remains. 
right? If you're attacking the rim, it's good process, it's good offense, but it also has these nice beneficial side effects. You're going to get to the line, you're going to be in the bonus, and you're going to spread some fouls around to another team that's not very deep, and they don't have a lot of bigs to get in there and defend. They don't have many options. They have Aiton, and that's it. The Bucks have three bigs, Giannis, Portis, and Brooke Lopez. The Suns can't match that. So if you get in there and you force them to defend or foul, you're going to do really, really well. That's what the Bucs have been doing. It hasn't looked pretty all the time. I, I think sometimes the Bucs need to remember, we're not a finesse team. We're not a jump shooting team. We're a team that gets to the rack. And if they continue to do that, they have a great shot to win two of the next three games and to win their first NBA title since the early 70s. 608-796-2558. All quiet on the talk and text line front. No tweets as well at Wisco Grant. So if you want to get in, Send a message to the show, a take about the Bucks, or maybe you have something to pass along to Justin Garcia, Bucks Radio Network, Courtside Live. He'll join us next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, happy Friday. Hope your week is wrapping up nicely. My name is Grant Bills, and I appreciate you being here. You can tweet at me, at Wisco Grant. You can text the show, 608-796-2558. You can call as well, just not right now, because we have our friend and guest and expert and frequent contributor from the Bucks Radio Network, Courtside Live, and Hype Man at the Deer District. That's Justin Garcia. And Justin, it's funny, I got a text over the break, and it's almost like the Bucks might be two games away from an NBA championship because I wasn't getting texts like this a couple of weeks and months ago. Mike in Madison says, I'll say it again, Grant. Coach Bud is a guru. Can't wait to sit back and watch the magic. I was like, whoa. It, I, I wasn't hearing things like that a couple of weeks ago. Isn't that funny? Um, I mean, he's still in the minority in terms of fans, but I agree that Coach Bud's done a great job through the playoffs. Just the adjustments that this team has made from series to series, how they've made them within series. I mean, the criticisms that were levied against him the last two years for being too rigid and sticking with, as I think those around him have put it, you stick with what got you there. Mm-hmm. Those are all valid. And we knew coming into this season, you were going to have to play your starters more, especially since the bench really took a step backward. And you just had to do things differently. And they did that in the regular season. And I know on my shows, a lot of the calls that we got were complaints of, you know, why isn't this Bucks team in contention for the top record in the East? Why are they dropping games like this to the Houston Rockets and regular season games where they just look out of sorts? And we kept pointing to, look, it's not encouraging to lose to the Houston Rockets, and that's really the game that cost them home court against the, the uh, Nets. Yeah. But they're losing these games in large part because we're seeing them play zone. We're seeing them switch more. They're trying different things, and you know, we kind of – Agreed on this in the offseason. That's what they have to do. So he did it, and I'm not going to fault him for that. No, I, and I think part of it is the media coverage of this team, too. Like, when Charles Barkley says things like, this is the dumbest team ever, well, just because it doesn't always look pretty, it doesn't mean they're a dumb team. I think the Bucks and, and Giannis especially, example of a team that when it's not going well, it looks bad, right? And some teams, when it's not going well, it, it still doesn't look ugly to the degree that which sometimes the Bucks look clunky so I think what we hear from the talking heads and what we hear from broadcasters not always true but oftentimes it it sticks I I was talking right before I brought you on Justin about how as the playoffs have continued depending on the matchup of course coach Bud has leaned into their small lineup a little bit more and it's funny because this team has been best when they're attacking the rim attacking the paint 
but they haven't been playing a lot of bigs. Giannis at the center has been their best kind of situation, their best lineup. So I, I've, I've got a clever way to coin this, and I'm hoping this impresses you. I'm hoping you like this. I think the Bucks can be described as a team that goes small but plays big. What do you, what do you think about that? No, I think that's, I think that's exactly it. And you know, to the last point you made about they, when they're not playing well, it looks really ugly. I mean, I think that sums up the Bucks pretty well. And I think Chris Middleton's the captain of that, that, you know, in, in years past, I think the, the phrase that we would often hear used with Chris Middleton was the tough shot express. And he's talked about it too, that when a shot is off to the left or to the right, he knows, all right, I, I got to make some adjustments. But when it's, you know, halfway down and coming out and straight on, it's tough to fault him for some of those missed shots that, you know, I think we, we point to the jump shooting and say, why are they settling for this? But that's Chris's best shot. And mm-hmm. games one and two of this series, he was getting good looks and the shots just weren't falling. And I don't think it was Chris having to adjust what he did. It was a lot that were halfway down and came out. So there's a lot of that with this team that when those shots aren't falling, it looks like, man, what are they doing? And why is this not working? And why aren't they just utilizing Giannis and the size that they have with Brooke Lopez? But this has been their offense all year. And, you know, uh, the other point you made about going smaller but playing bigger, I mean, Pat Connaughton does that. P.J. Tucker definitely does that. A guy that they're really missing right now is Dante DiVincenzo, who also does that. And I was wrong with the start of this series, after we looked at games one and two, I kind of cautioned, look, they're going to have to play Brooke Lopez more. And I think game one, it was 24 or 25 minutes that he played. But I was kind of on the corner of don't panic. He's going to gradually play more. He's going to look better as the series has gone on. It's the same thing we saw against the Nets. The same thing we saw, granted, some of it had to do with injury to Giannis, but the same thing we saw against the Hawks. And I just thought we're going to see the same here. But we've seen it's been the opposite, and they just have to play small. And I know I pointed to, and a few of us pointed to, look at their numbers when the when the starting five are on the court together. I think they were plus 12 in the first two games of the series. Limited minutes in game three, and obviously they were, I think, plus 16. Just yeah. they blew out the sun, so everybody was up. But in game four, it was drastically different. By my count, I think it was just under 10 minutes that the starters played together. And they're minus 12 in those minutes. So we've seen things progress to where the small ball lineup with Giannis at the five and PJ at the four and bringing Pat out there, that's become their best lineup. And the other tinker that I think we've seen is it's not so much a 50-50 split, especially in the fourth quarter, but it's, you know, about two-thirds to a third of the playing time between PJ and Bobby Portis. And I think we're going to continue to see that of, you need the offensive Bobby, and I think overall he's held up well defensively, but in the crunch time, it's going to be P.J. Tucker as before down the stretch. I, I think Bobby's held up good defensively, too, and something I've talked about the last two weeks, and, and Dave Dufour tweeted about this. I thought he was reading my mind a couple of weeks ago during one of these games. You can't look at the result of a play and use that as a judge yeah. on whether the defense is good or not. Watch the process, and if somebody hits a tough shot over Bobby Portis, okay, I'm not going to blame Bobby Portis for that. I think he's held up pretty well defensively, too. We're talking to Justin Garcia Bucks Radio Network, Courtside Live, and he's been the hype man down in the Deer District, too. I want to ask you about Giannis before we do a little thought experiment, because you are at the arena. You, you're, you're, like, you're ingrained with the routine of this team, right? We watch on TV. We know what we see on TV, but you understand what it's like on game day and the routine everybody goes through. And if anything's out of the ordinary, right, you're going to pick up on that long before somebody like me is. 
what's the deal with Giannis? Like, I'm not, I'm not questioning his drive. I'm not questioning his energy. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm just how it looked. He looked sluggish. He looked unenergetic. I'm not questioning his motivation because I don't want to do that. I don't know what's in a player's head. He said he had to take a pee. He subbed out early. What's the deal there? Is it just a little anxiety? Is he just tired from all the minutes he's playing? What are you seeing from Giannis, especially early in these last few games? Yeah, I don't know. Um, we have to take him at his word that that's the reason two games in a row that he left the game, what, about four minutes into the game? Yeah. Uh, it's usually he'll play around the first eight minutes and then he subs out, but it's been really rapid the last two games. In in game four especially, he, I think it was a combination of things. I mean, he obviously did not look like the guy that was just fully taking over in games two and three, but as the game went on, he seemed to kind of find his rhythm and get into the mix a little more. Now, I think leaving early, and I guess this kind of contradicts the point, given what he did in game uh, three, but I think when he leaves early, that does kind of take him out of rhythm, and you have to get back into the flow of the offense. I frankly think we saw the same thing with Devin Booker in the fourth quarter when he was pulled due to foul trouble. You thought, man, the Bucks could only shave off one point when he was off the floor. But when he came back in, he had to get back in the rhythm and kind of find himself in the offense. And I think you saw that a little bit with Giannis in, um, in the first quarter and second quarter of game four. But he looked much more comfortable as the game went on. And, uh, you know, I just think that's a part of it. I think as the game went on, he got into the, into the rhythm a little more. But also there was a couple of times where we can't really hold this against Giannis. He was calling for the ball, and he had mismatches, and his teammates just get, didn't get him the ball. Yeah. So if you spot those mismatches and, and that leads to, you know, eight extra points in the first half, who knows? Maybe he's off and running from there, and it's another 30- or 40-point game. It's just taking advantage of those opportunities. He did it early, and I'm not going to say he felt invisible, but – he didn't seem like the best player on the court for the first half of the game. Obviously, that was Devin Booker. But as the game went on, I mean, the last two minutes, he and Chris Middleton were kind of trading that award of who's the best player on the court. Yeah. I posited to Seth Partnow of The Athletic on Wednesday that Giannis was subbing himself out early to mess with the rotation patterns of Monty Williams and the Suns because they want to match Giannis and DeAndre Ayton. So if Giannis subs out early, right, how do the Suns react? Oh, my goodness, what do we do? Seth... Zero percent. He agreed with that. Yeah. Maybe suggesting at all. Say. Yeah, I. It was. It was worth the shot. I'm I had sure asked. Uh, I'm sure he politely shot it down. Oh, but, he. Uh, yeah, he did. And and I made it very clear. I'm like, look, this is probably crap, but I I got to bring it up. Just maybe. No, he. Uh, no, no, not surprisingly, didn't vibe with that. Uh, to close out here, Justin, a little thought experiment. I've been digging through the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals, and I'm trying to find parallels because the Bucks are trying to do it to the Suns what the Raptors did to them. So I'm trying to find connections if I can. So I have three, and I want to hit you with these, and you tell me if these are something or if I'm if I'm reaching. You get you get that? Does it sound good? I got it. Yeah, I got okay. it. Okay. So number one, Suns were up nine in game four, and they blew a chance to go up 3-1. And that reminded me of the Bucks losing game three when they had two overtimes, and they missed a bunch of free throws, and they let Toronto climb back into the series 2-1. I think both of those games were huge missed opportunities, and the teams that lost those games, I think it stuck with them. Do you think that's something, or do you think that's nothing? Uh, absolutely. And I was uh, talking about it with Ted Davis and a few people after the game as well, that the Bucks had no business winning that game. Phoenix outplayed them. That was the one game so far that series where you would say, man, Phoenix 
thoroughly outplayed the Bucks here. And I know they dropped the first two, but they were in those games. It was just really the, the last five minutes of the first half that determined both of those games. In this one, they just looked bad and out of sorts for most of the game. Phoenix should have won that. And those are the games that usually you point to and say, man, that's where the series really started to turn. Because 3-1 is a much different story. Oh, yeah. And I think game three in the Brooklyn series is is similar because Brooklyn Same probably thing. saw yep. that game and they're like, oh, why? How, we, if we just would have won that game, how things might have been different. And it's I over. think there's a, a frustration yeah. factor. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, number two, the adjustment of Kawhi Leonard moving to guard Giannis after game two, uh, after the, the Raptors fell behind two games, nothing. And the adjustment of Drew Holiday covering CP3 after game one. Is that a connection? Is, is there something there? It's like um, it's like a stepbrother. It's not necessarily <laughs> blood brothers, but there's something there. I mean, I guess the biggest difference is Drew had been on Chris, largely on Chris, even in game one, despite the switching. He was still taking most of those. And, and Kawhi on Giannis was relatively new, and I believe it was partially through game three. So it was really the final three games of the series that he was really on him. Um, the biggest change for the Bucks was just eliminating the switching. But, you know, again, to draw parallels between, and not to step on your toes here, if this is one coming up. No, 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 you're good. But I think the job that, that, that Bud has done in this series and what Nick Nurse did in that series, there's a lot of similarities. That they, It's not just the switching. They tried everything in game two. All, everything but a box in one, basically, they tried. So... You know, it wasn't for lack of throwing different looks and adjustments that people like to put out there. So um, there's some similarities there, and I think overall between Bud and Nick Nurse and, and what he did in that series, and especially against the Warriors in the next round, there's some similarities there as well to what Bud has done defensively. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that's a weird advantage of being the away team is you have a little bit more room to breathe and ease into a series. I'd always rather have home court advantage, but there is something to be said for not needing to be operating full tilt right out of the gate, especially for the Bucks, who they're not very good in game ones or they haven't been great in game ones under Bud. This is the last one. This is number three, and this might be wishful thinking. I might be reaching here. I'm, I'm being creative is a positive way to spin that. Fred Van Vliet stepped up and shot 85% from three in games four through six, right? He had three amazing performances in a row. Now, yeah. Pat Connaughton hasn't done that, but he's shooting 46% from it. three. His true shooting percentage is great. He's been really good. Bucks fans give him crap anyways, but is there something there? Could Pat play that type of role over the final three games? What Fred Van Vliet did in, in 2019. Um. This is probably the weakest, but okay. Pat Connaughton is the most likely to be the how did he do that guy for the Bucks. That I mean, Fred Van Vliet was, you know, basically and Marcus all played well too, but Fred Van Vliet was basically the number three for the Raptors in that series. And Kyle Lowry started to get going as the series went on, obviously Kawhi, but Fred Van Vliet was the guy hitting big shots. I don't think Pat is going to give you quite the impact that Fred Van Vliet did, but he has consistently been very good throughout this season. He is the highest three-point shooter in the playoffs for yeah. the Bucks. He's been great in this series. That If you told me there's going to be one guy outside of Giannis and Drew and Chris that has the potential to, you know, not 30, but maybe he could get 15 or something and, and just have that big game 
that the Suns look back on years from now and say, man, how did that guy do it to us? I think it's Pat Connaughton. Yeah, and they play different roles. Like, Pat Connaughton isn't the same volume type player that Van Vliet is, so the totals and, and the three-point attempts aren't going to be there. But Pat does some things for the Bucks that they need. Like, they like to win in the margins. That's how they're winning. He's a good free-throw shooter, which really helps the Bucks, right? He's a good offensive rebounder. Uh, and I think he's active and he's athletic, which helps, you know, force some loose balls and create turnovers. I think Pat lends himself, not to the volume of Fred Van Vliet, but I think playing a role that the Bucks really need the way that they're going to have to win. Their half-court offense isn't as good as Phoenix, so they're winning in the margins. And I think Pat is the right kind of player for that. Okay, so you didn't completely disagree with any of those three. I feel like I feel like that's good enough. Like, I at least I got you thinking, and, and I'll take it. Justin, I'm going to let you go because I, I always feel like I keep you way too long, but what's been going on in the Deer District has been awesome, and I know you've played a big part of that, so i got to say thank you because that's been so cool to see that on TV, and, and this is just a good time to be a Bucks fan, and you're a part of that, so thank you. Well, um, let's hope it's going to be crazy. I mean, it's going to be crazy either way on yeah. Tuesday. And it's, it's going to be nuts tomorrow, too. But let's hope Tuesday it's going to be even crazier because there's a chance that the Bucks can win the NBA Finals in six games. <sighs> Bucks in six. I like the prophecy said, like Brandon Jennings said. I can't wait for Saturday. I can't wait for Tuesday. Enjoy it all, Justin. And I always appreciate having you. Thank you. Have a good weekend. All right. We'll talk to you later. Justin Garcia. Bucks Radio Network, Courtside Live. Follow him on Twitter at TMJ Garcia. I, I feel like I hung in there. Anytime I try to present a theory or an idea to guests, normally they get shot down, mostly because my ideas and theories are, for the most part, pretty dumb. But all right, all right, Justin's vibing with a little bit of that. I'll take it. Yes, I feel like that was a success. I feel like that little experiment was a success. Let's take a break. I have a tweet. I have a text or two that I want to get to. Talking more Bucks coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, I just messaged Justin. I'm like, hey, thank you. Anytime I can get a guest to buy into one of my stupid theories, I'll take it as a win. Appreciate him joining us from the Bucks Radio Network, from Courtside Live. If you've been down at the Deer District, I'm sure you've seen him getting the troops fired up. I still think that my Giannis DeAndre Ayton theory, I, I'm 0 for 2 trying to sell that to guests. Seth had none of it on Wednesday. Justin was like, yeah, that's, nah, that ain't it. Why wouldn't Giannis maybe mix up his substitution patterns just a little bit to try to throw the Suns off? Why not? Craig Council did it with Wade Miley in the playoffs. I just, I don't think it's that ludicrous. All right, that's all I'm saying. I remember a couple of weeks ago in the Brooklyn series, I'm like, hey, look, it's not the end of the world to start on the road. It might actually be a weird advantage to be the away team here. And all the guests were like, ah, no, I'd rather be at home. Blah, 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 blah. Talk down to Grant. Blah, 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 blah. What happened? The Bucks won in game seven. Okay. Maybe playing on the road isn't so bad after all. All I'm saying some of my ideas, they seem crazy at first, but the more you think about it, the more you hang around. Okay, not so crazy after all. My name, Grant Bills, Twitter, at Wisco Grant. I have a tweet here, <clears throat> excuse me, from Thomas. Thomas in River Falls. Beautiful, beautiful country. He says, do you think the Bucks can steal one in Phoenix? If they do, they have to steal game five. I agree and disagree. And we only have two minutes, so I'm going to explain quickly. I think the most likely scenario in which the Bucks win the finals is that they win in game five and then they win at home in game six. 
identical to what the Raptors did a couple of years ago. Because the Bucs have figured out something right now. Okay, if we stick Drew Holiday on Chris Paul, that gives us a huge advantage. If we attack the rim, there's nothing really the Suns can do with it. That's a huge advantage. Giannis has all the, the momentum as the best player in the series, blah, blah, blah. Everything is favoring the Bucs right now. And the most likely scenario in which they go on to win two of the next three, I think is winning the next two. Game five in Phoenix and then closing it out at home in game six, Bucks in six. I do think there's an alternate reality where they win tomorrow or in game six and they win in game seven. And I don't think winning game seven on the road is as tough as some people might think. And this is another theory where I think if I were to try to explain it to a smart guest, they'd be like, and they'd poo-poo me. But look, game one at home, oh, you have a huge advantage. Game five at home, huge advantage. Game seven, the, the mere existence of a game seven implies that you have allowed the opponent to force a game seven and extend the series to seven. And a game seven at home is not a, it's not a home game in the same way. Everybody's tight and on edge and you don't want to blow it and everybody's tightly wound. If you go back and you watch the 2016 finals, nobody scored for like the last five minutes of the game between the Warriors and the Cavs because everyone's wound tight as a diamond. Buttholes clenched all the way, right? So, of course, I would rather play Game 7 at home. But I think the home court advantage is mitigated to a degree in a Game 7 just because of the high stakes, the pressure. Everybody's worried. And I think that detracts a little bit from the home court advantage in Game 7. Doesn't minimize it. Doesn't flip it. But, or, or excuse me, it doesn't get rid of it completely. It doesn't flip it, but it does minimize it just a little bit. So I do think winning Game 7 in Phoenix, not as unlikely as some people might think. But I think the most likely path for the Bucks if they're going to win the finals is to go win tomorrow and then win game six and just keep this momentum going, keep the wave going. Does that make sense? Thomas, thank you for the tweet at Wisco Grant. We're going to talk more Bucks coming up next and just a quick blurb on the Brewers too. Their pregame will be taken over at 5.30, so one half hour of the Wisco Sports Show left. Talk to you after the break. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) 